Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Metsmerized. With me tonight is an extremely special guest, my good friend. Uh, you folks know him as Stephen Josiah on Twitter. Stephen, what's happening, buddy? Hey, Tim. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. Yeah, um, I guess we're getting really into full swing of spring training. Full workouts have begun. Oh, uh, so grapefruit. happy. Yeah, grapefruit <laughs> leagues are starting this. Uh, the games are starting this weekend. Um, you know, we have a couple of a couple of docket uh, a couple of items on the docket as far as current events. I know we have a couple of players that we specifically specifically want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll go ahead and dive right in. Uh, Steven, are you putting any stock into Steve Cohen kind of lurking in the shadows as far as this uh, potential Mets sale? Oh, I'm putting a lot of stock into him lurking. What I don't think is going to happen is the Wilpon selling to him or Manfred okaying the deal. Uh, but do I think that he's still interested and still waiting to pounce when, you know, shockingly not many billionaires with $3 billion to to just blow on a, on a deal for a team that's horribly run and hasn't had a lot of success recently? magically appear out of thin air. Um, I do think that he's sitting around waiting for that. I just don't see it very high odds of him actually getting the team, though. What about you? I guess as far as reports that are coming out, um, I'm very skeptical of what to believe, what's kind Mm -hmm. of posturing, and that could be on anybody's part, whether it's the Mets, whether it's potential buyers uh, leaking reports, whatever the case may be. I wouldn't be shocked if he still emerges as a potential buyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think being vetted by Major League Baseball might be an issue. Yeah. But if I'm Major League Baseball, anything to change the narrative right now. And if if right. Steve Cohen buying the Mets is that is that uh, that change of wind, I think you have to uh, kind of, yeah. I guess let it let it go. This seems like a bit of a power play, doesn't it? I mean, it does. using the using the media, uh, just. Behind closed doors, this was said. I can't talk about this because of confidentiality. Now there's a report that he's still interested and he's lurking. And of course, now the Wilpons have changed their tune on the sale of SMY and that five year grace period with Fred Jeff sort of still controlling the day to day. And it's just, it all just seems like a bunch of power play here with no real concrete steps towards a sale, which as a fan frustrates me because to be honest with you, Tim, I don't really care about the power dynamic of people with a lot more money than I will ever see in my lifetime. I just want to watch a good product on the field. We're not getting that. We haven't gotten that with Will Ponds. I just want the team to be sold. I don't particularly care who it's to, as long as they're rich enough and they'll actually invest money in the team. Right. I, I don't want to hear about the owners anymore. I Me neither. Want, <laughs> I just want to talk about baseball. And, right. you know, with the Wilpons around, that's always going to be kind of a narrative circling always. the team. And it yeah. seems like everyone involved, at least on the Wilpon and Cat side of things, um, you know, leaving Jeff Wilpon out of the equation, they, <laughs> they're all pretty much fed up with this. They just, guys, yeah. let's, make, let's make our ridiculous yep. windfall, get on out of here, and, um, and, and, you know, let's see our team succeed because, you know, they care about the team. You know, they love yeah. the Mets. Yeah, um, but, you know, they're, they're they're reportedly drowning. So, guys, right. you know, get out while you can. <laughs> what what um, did they buy the Mets for? $150 million, something like that, $200 million. They're going to sell it for probably $3 billion. Like, you're right. Like, so just go ahead. Take your winnings and, and cash out at the casino, man. You, you did well as, a, as, as an investor. 
didn't do great as owners, not a lot to show for it. It's okay. Take your billions, go do real estate stuff with it and hand it off to somebody who, who might meddle less and put a better team on the field. That's okay. You can ride off into the sunset in that way. Oh, sure. And you know, that whole five year plan, um, I think the article that came out on, on Wednesday was a, a, a it detailed that pretty well mm-hmm. as far as, um, you know, why would Cohen sit around? And I know folks are saying that when the deal was happening. Why is he going to sit around for five years and put in money? Right. And I, I think that the article referred to it as he's just going to pay for a good seat. I'm paraphrasing that. But <laughs> that's great. I, that's it's really, that, that's a great line. <laughs> that's but, a fantastic line. <laughs> but, you know, whether it's Cohen, whether it's – I know MLB doesn't like the whole conglomerate of, of buyers. They want that one mm-hmm. control person. And, you know, whatever the case may be, it, it's made, now it's extremely public that the Mets are willing to sell, which can only hurt yeah. their bottom line. Um, it's right. pretty much a, a given that they have to include SNY at this point. Um, it do, doesn't this seem a little weird to you, though, Tim, that, like, just a couple weeks ago we have this this soft agreement to – to sell the team to Cohen for uh, what was it? 2.6, right? 2.6. And five year grace period, transition period with really Jeff running the team, Fred still being there, the Saul cat still being there. And then up to 80% after five years and no S and Y. And now after this deal falls through with this seemingly like perfect owner worth what? 10, 10, $11 billion happens to be a Mets fan really wants a team. Now all of a sudden for just three billion, we're talking about S and Y, which is a, an extremely valuable asset. No transition period, no Jeff meddling, uh, Jeff Wilpon meddling. Something just doesn't seem right to me. I mean, it, it, like, do they just not like Steve Cohen? Like, do you think that there's just a grudge here or something like that? He's been a minority owner for some time. It just seems like even though he's the perfect buyer, like that, that Manfred, and maybe the Wilpons or maybe especially Jeff Wilpon has some bad blood with Steve Cohen. Do you think that there's anything going on there? Well, I, I think that kind of feeds into the whole Steve Cohen is still lurking somewhere kind mm-hmm. of, um, I guess, theory. Because, all right, let's say just for legal reasons, for contractual reasons, they had to break down that deal because the whole five-year transition period was just a non-starter. Okay. Um Let's say theoretically they had to rebuild the deal and they had to include these things to kind of appease Cohen's terms. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked to see him come back into the picture. Like, I, I wouldn't put it past the Mets to kind of do these public gymnastics to yeah. kind of skate around what's happening. But, you know, connecting the dots in an extremely, I don't want to say cynical, but skeptical way. It, it it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know, yeah. uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist about it. It just, it just doesn't make much sense to me. You know, the valuation to me seemed kind of a little low, to be honest with you, just, just based on what, you know, what the, what the Marlins sold for just a couple of years ago with the Dodgers years before that. I thought the 2.6 was, was a little low. And now they're saying just three and S and Y is included in the deal. Uh, it, to me, that that tells me two things. One is that they're desperate to to sell. I think you're right that there's a lot of tension right now with the Katzes and the Wilpons and and certainly disagreement with Jeff over selling this this team, this prized possession that this family's had. But it also maybe tells me that uh, that Cohen just wasn't wasn't their first choice and buyer. It, but it doesn't make much sense because they didn't really have an 
an open bidding for it. It was just all of a sudden, boom, here's Steve Cohen. I, I just don't really get the $3 billion valuation with SNY and no control when the last offer, so to speak, was for 2.6 and no SNY and the five-year transition. It's just, just something doesn't add up to me here. I don't know what it is. I, I, it's just weird to me that we're, we are where we are right now heading into the year when we thought, hey, maybe we have light at the end of the tunnel for this ownership group finally leaving. Well, I, I kind of think that um, letting this get so messy and so public as far as the breakdown of the original deal with Cohen, the mm-hmm. Wilpons lost a lot of leverage. I, I, like, I was like, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the, now they've made it public that they not only want to sell, but are, are pretty much, um, I don't want to say they have to sell, but mm-hmm. they've made, they've made it public that they're losing money every year on the franchise, not on the, on the, uh, on the network side. Cause the network mm-hmm. side is a cash cow, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, now <laughs> if you're getting 2.6 billion without SNY and it comes out that, oh, you want all these, these perks and you want all these special provisions in the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all breaks down and yo, we still want to sell. You know, right. if I have, if I'm a billionaire, I'm going to be like, okay, well, you're not getting what you originally wanted and you're going to have yeah, to throw yeah. in something very, very spicy like SNY for me to even, you know, think of giving mm-hmm. you that money. I, I you know, it, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it reach upwards of three and a half, maybe four billion if they're going to include SNY. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be a, a, a very very deep pocketed buyer. I, I you know, sure. at this point, who's who's coming out of the woods at this point right. To, right. to make that type of purchase? It's going to be um, Cohen. Yeah, I, I really do. I, I want it to be Cohen. You know, so, me too, I, man. I, I, because yeah, he's he, he. I think he would become instantly the richest owner in baseball, which would be kind of nice, especially just just for me personally. Little bit of a middle finger to my Yankees fan brethren that we have richer owners. <laughs> it's what we have, Tim. We don't have a lot. <laughs> it's what we have. Uh, oh, yeah. And also, just you know, having a Mets fan as an owner, and and I guess maybe this is naive, but thinking that he, he wouldn't mind running a two hundred fifty, two hundred eighty, three hundred million dollar payroll to to get the team to the promised land. I, there there was so much fun stuff on Twitter about you know he bought this uh, this statue from uh, the Ars Giacometti's uh, sculpture for. You know, $150 million or something like that. You know, just like, well, if he was, if he's willing to buy an inanimate object for that amount of money, imagine what he would spend for, say, Mookie Betts in a year. And, and that's, I, I just, I just love fantasizing about that. And I think most of us do. Oh, for sure. And, you know, in an ideal world, owners in New York City, whatever sport or whatever team you own in New York City, you know, you should have the, the financial backing or, you know, the financial status to, to go for a championship every season. And I know that, you know, Mets fans hate to hear this, but you look at the Yankees and they're just an ideal picture of trying to win every year. They don't care. Like, you know, they, they took their little rebuilding season in 2017 and look what Mm -hmm. they got. They, they got development out of everybody, (laughs) which the Mets will never see. That's just our luck. But the um, rebuilding season in 2017 where they, what was it, still, did they still get a wild card or did they just miss the wild card but still won like 85 games or something like that? <laughs> oh, I think I think they might have got a wild card. Yeah. You know, judge just, judge uh, broke the, out. and <laughs> That's their rebuilding season. And like, well, you know, we, we hit 86 wins last year, didn't make the playoffs. And most Mets fans are happy with last season. I know I am. I will always look back 
on 2019 with a little bit of a smile on my face. And we didn't even make the playoffs, Tim. This is how, like, it, Mets fans are the, I, I swear, the most loyal fans in baseball because just give us any sort of hope, any, any ounce of fun in a team, and we're in. We are 100% bought in to, to coming back every year. Well, yeah, ho- hope is our thing. Um, yeah. There's certainly a lot of fun on this roster. Oh, I love this team. And, you know, love the, Mets, the Mets were the best team in the National League over this, in the second half last season. They were better than the Nationals. Were they really? We, yeah, we had 40, the best record second half? 46 and 26. I, 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 I know. You know what? The Dodgers might have had a better – I don't have the number. Well, still, still 46 and 20, so that's, inc- that's an incredible record. They went on a nice run. I don't think Mickey Callaway gets enough credit, but as we said on the show, maybe <laughs> no. it wasn't him. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was kind of the team doing it in spite of him, but we'll, we'll never know. You know maybe like maybe Mickey's PTSD will uh, oh, we'll reveal that one day. He does. We already joked about it. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm one of those guys who just doesn't think that the manager makes much of a difference either way. Uh, I, I think this has been – um, statistically proven by by people for smart a lot smarter than I am, um, but you know maybe a game here or there. That being said, I ripped Mickey Callaway many many times last <laughs> year. So hey, you got got to give credit where the team was doing well. If you're going to rip him the other many many games of the season, so perhaps he deserves some credit there. That being said, I'm I'm happy that he's not at the helm anymore. Um, even though it's it's the manager is always going to be a scapegoat, even though. The uh, the influence is not as as much as as fans think. Yeah, I you know in in Louis Rojas's case, mm-hmm. I do believe because you know a manager is all about motivation. That's pretty much their primary fuck. Excuse me, their primary job. I almost cursed. Right. We're allowed to curse, but there's no. <laughs> Are there we was no reason. I, I forgot to ask. Oh, we can. Oh yeah, oh, we can. Fantastic. This is yeah. This, is, <laughs> Good this show's for everybody. We have a little parental advisory warning at the bottom of the screen. We don't, but we should. Andrew, get on that, buddy. Let's let's, uh, make the parental uh, advisory right now verbally. Uh, Kids, we might fucking swear a couple times, all right? It might happen. (laughs) But, you know, now I lost my train of thought. Uh oh. Well, let let me get get you back on the. um, the, Before we move on from the owners, I just wanted to ask you, like, who's your high in the sky like uh, a, a fantasy owner for the Mets after Steve Cohen is Steve Cohen your number one like would you rather well, Steve I mean, Cohen than guys, Jeff Bezos you know uh, yeah yeah okay yeah me too I would because like he's he's clearly a baseball guy like didn't he try to buy the Dodgers or, or somebody he tried to buy some team Ooh, um, didn't Cohen? work yeah I think so yeah I believe he was the runner-up in to to buying the Dodgers for, for the Dodgers but, right yeah yeah but, you know, he, he grew up on Long Island. He's a lifelong Mets fan. Um, he's already a minority owner in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, I mean, the guy's got – I think Steve Ballmer of the Clippers would be the second – would be the richest owner in sports, and I believe Cohen would be right behind him if he were to gotcha. – I guess if he were to buy the team. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is this is the deep-pocketed guy that we were that we've been waiting for for, for years. Um, that would be ideal to me. Uh, the whole A Rod thing, I, I don't <laughs> that's where see I want to happening. go with this. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it <laughs> happening. Um, I wouldn't even. I I don't know. It, yeah. He would have to bring in partners, and oh, for sure. If he's going to do it the right way, sure. But boy, I see that money running out fast. <laughs> but how fun would it be, just from a narrative standpoint, to have Alex Rodriguez as owner of the Mets, having not 
signed with them years ago, grow, grew up a Mets fan, and, and sort of like the, the fact that he and Jeter just con- continue to have these divergent paths after their playing careers were over. One was this pariah who cheated. The other was this golden boy with the immaculate record. And then as the two of them pursued their careers after baseball, Jeter has become uh, a, a bit of a, of a villain, and Alex Rodriguez has become a beloved character. And it would just be, just from a story standpoint, Tim, it would just be wonderful if Alex Rodriguez owns the Mets uh, and takes them to the promised land. Meanwhile, Jeter just continues to run the Marlins into the ground, 90-loss season after 90-loss season. It just would be hilarious. And also having Jennifer Lopez as the first lady, the queen of the Mets, would be wonderful as well. So, like, just just from a, a narrative standpoint, I love the idea, but I think their combined net worth is still shot of a billion, so you, you're right. They would have to have to bring in a lot of money to do that. Well, I guess A-Rod is – I don't want to know. I don't know if he's the primary guy for, for Presidente Beer now or, or he's, a, he's a partner in Presidente Beer, which is owned by InBev, I guess the largest beer distributor in the, in the world. I believe I that, you know, if he could get them on board, sure, that's mm. money forever. But, yeah. yeah, he would have to bring in partners. But, oh, sure, I could see him going all out just to stick it to Jeter. And, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that kind of competitive spirit, uh, I think that would be a plus. But, mm-hmm. you know, that I I, I, I I look at it as a pipe dream. It would be cool. It, it is a pipe dream. Yeah. But it would be very, very cool. And, like, while we're <laughs> in a little bit of limbo here, we can dream. We can dream about Jeff Bezos, we can dream about. Hey, maybe Steve Cohen is is a dream too. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, the Alex Rodriguez Jennifer Lopez ownership group would be would be pretty sweet. Gotta say, <laughs> I don't know if Jennifer Lopez. I think you said I said it with Jacob on the last show. She would uh, she would go ahead and represent the Bronx fast. She, she would laugh at a Rod. She'd be like, No, I, I'm not investing <laughs> really? in the Mets. You don't think so? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it's if run properly, I guarantee the Mets could be a profitable team. Because, you well, know, just put a, put, a, put a decent team on the field, and we're going to come see that team. Like, that's just how we're – it's how we're built. Sure. <laughs> so the, the report that came out about the, the Wilpons losing money every year, I think it was $50 million a year, um, which first off, uh, you know, we were just talking about leverage before. I, well, you know, that's not something I would make so public. Uh, it's something you certainly would have to disclose to a, a, a potential buyer, but – not something that I think the media would, should get their hands on if you're trying to sell the team that hey this is a this is not a profitable asset here buy it. I, I oh, that's just, I, I, I just, don't I think, get it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just don't buy it. I do not buy that the Mets. And, and granted, I know there's a lot of debt against the team. Um, there's debt against the stadium, and certainly just from the, the pure operating losses back in the in the dark years. But I look just doing some simple math here, and I, and this is I'm not the right person to talk to about this. Talk to someone like Christopher Soto about like the actual math. He's he he is an accountant. He knows this a lot better. But just just using very rudimentary math here, baseball is a ten billion dollar industry. Uh, if we divide that by thirty teams uh, evenly, which we know it's not, well, let's say we do, we're talking about upwards of three hundred million dollars for each team. All right. So so and we know that payroll is is going to bounce between you know fifty million if you're, you're the A's up to at the max around that 300 million mark if you're the Dodgers of a couple of years ago. So just, just from pure numbers here, the Mets being somewhere in that midpoint, and then, okay, we have debt against the team. We can pay some of that off. We obviously have uh, many, many operating expenses from scouts to minor leagues to marketing, um, everybody in the front office, all that sort of stuff. But we're still talking about, on average, for all 30 teams, $333 million. 
that's a number that's much, much higher than the Mets payroll over the past few years. And we're talking about a New York team. Good chance to, or, or good sense to think that maybe that number is a little bit higher than, than the average for the league. So it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't pass the sniff test. Um, may, maybe the team just has a lot more debt than I, than I realized. And yet an owner would be assuming that debt. I just, I don't buy that any major league team is operating a loss consistently. That, that's, that, that's not what these billionaires are buying teams for. They're not doing it as hobby projects. And I've disagreed with people on Twitter about this. That is, but you could find the biggest fan of a sports team in the world, that, but they, they became a billionaire for a reason. They're yeah. not making bad deals. They're not going to buy a sinking ship. So I just, I just don't believe the report. And I'd be, it's going to be hard to convince me that the Mets are, are annually losing money here and there, sure. A lot of debt against the team, but consistently, no, I, I just don't buy it. Well, see, that's see, this is the report. This is one of the reports that I point to as uh, being leaked or released by uh, someone either looking to purchase the club, someone working mm-hmm. in cahoots with someone looking to purchase the club to devalue the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the Mets don't want information like, oh, would they lose $50 million right. annually coming out? And that's not necessarily unheard of. A lot of pro sports teams uh, don't make money off of their just their, uh, I guess, basic sports yeah, or, ticket sales versus, you know, the. Uh, yeah, a lot the, of teams don't, don't turn a profit. Yeah. I right. know for, for years, the Islanders lost millions and millions of dollars. Charles Wong, who owned the team through the 90s into the 2000s, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, he he publicly said, "Oh, we this is just a a uh, it's a hemorrhaging you know business mm-hmm. venture." But yeah. you know, um, you have owners who care, and you have owners like the Wilpons who borrow against their franchise and then struggle to pay it off, and then get get caught in fucking Ponzi schemes and mm-hmm. keep, get to keep their team. Like, how does that happen? How does Frank McCourt? And we've had this conversation. We've all had this conversation at yeah. one point or another. How does Frank McCourt? You know be forced to sell the Dodgers, but the Wilpons being dragged through all of this mud haven't, right. the MLB hasn't even approached him about it. And it, and it has, it just doesn't make any sense. That's what doesn't make any sense. To me. I, that part makes sense to me. It's a gentleman's club and the Bud Selig and Fred Wilpon were to the gentlemen. They were very close. And then Bud Selig protege, Rob Manfred becomes a new commissioner, passes the baton. The connection is still there. The Wilpons continue to keep the team. McCourt didn't have that kinship, or if they did, it evaporated when when all of that madness happened with that team and the divorce. Uh, but it, it just it, it's it's about who you like and who you know versus what actually constitutes being uh, a, a healthy owner for an MLB franchise. Well, so let's just, let's. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no go sure. ahead. After you. Well, let's let's look at Fred Wilpon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is the guy who clearly has all the connections. Um, and, you know, he's got the – he's beloved by C-League. Uh, he's on different boards throughout the league. You know, if and when he steps down and Jeff Wilpon slides into that role uh, of head of – you know, true head of the ship, you have to imagine that he does not have the same stature as his father in these circles. Um, right. At that point – could you see if the Wilpons are still in control of the team? You know, and this is, you know, they're publicly trying to sell the team. So this is probably just a all, all for naught discussion. But, you know, 
if Fred wasn't there and it was just Jeff, you would have to assume they would have stepped in a long time ago, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't think, I, don't I just don't, I can't see them. I can't see MLB having, you know, Jeff being shined in the same light as his father. His father's been in this game for a long right. time. And for all his faults, um, he's a guy who's dedicated to baseball. Like he mm-hmm. loves this game. And, you know, Jeff Wilpon, even through reports, he is the black, not, I don't want to say the black sheep, but he's fucking it all up for them right yeah. now. Like in yeah. every way, um, you know, MLB can't look kindly on that, that one of their, and whether you're like it or not, the Mets are, a, are, a, you know, they're, they're, a, ah, what's the term I'm looking for? They're a benchmark in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. They're a New York franchise. They're a National yeah. League franchise in New York. It's a very important. It's very important that the Mets are at least competitive for the for the league's right. sake. For yeah. a passionate fan base, all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. The more that Mets keep on, you know, shooting themselves in the foot, and most of the times it's directed at Jeff Wilpon or because of Jeff Wilpon, I should say. You know, the the lower their standing is and, you know, we have these nice runs in 2015 and 2016 and last year in the second half where, the, you know, you have life and the fan base comes yeah. alive and, you know, everything's kind of falling the right way. And, you know, you look back to 2006 and, you know, that was a team put together by a front office and ownership group that wanted to win. And we haven't seen it since. And, yeah. you know, all right, we, we've spent too much time on the owners <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, now we're, I'm just getting we're, pissed off. <laughs> we're here talking about like why is the news cycle about the ownerships and Tim Tebow baseball back? And here we go talk for thirty minutes about the owners. <laughs> I pissed myself off. Like I got myself all fucking worked up. All right, but you know there is a plus side to all this is that there's yeah. a lot of talent on the roster. This yeah, there is. Um, I like you know, this team, Tim. Like, talk me off the ledge here. Is this a good team? This is a good team. I Even MLB.com likes us. Pecota likes us. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it, Femer it, has us as the best bullpen in the National League, Tim. Yeah. And dude, have you have you looked through like just name by name gone through this bullpen? Yes. It, it, it's <laughs> I I it's really hard for me to say, "Hey, I think the Mets bullpen is going to be very good because I I've been a fan for just over 20 years now. There's maybe a season or two in my entire Mets fandom where you could have said that. And one of those years, I think it was 2016, I didn't even realize how good it was until I looked at the numbers at the end of the season because Addison Reed was so good and Familia was so good. That really carried the team. But uh, the depth of this unit is a lot better than that 2016 uh, team. It's It could be very, very good. I don't want to jinx anything, but this is a deep bullpen. Yeah, hey, we are, Seth Lugo already got his injury out of the way. He broke his toe on a an ottoman or something like that. He broke so. his toe on an ottoman. I saw that he broke his toe. He he hit an ottoman. Yeah, he stubbed his toe on Only an ottoman. Mets. We've all Only been there. Mets. Oh, we <laughs> know. I haven't broken a toe, dude. No, <laughs> I dude. So. I was in, I was in like eighth grade. Um, I played mm-hmm. football in high school in school. Um, and walking around in the locker room, I had my flip flops on, and someone had their cleats on already, and stepped right on my toe and shattered it. And oh, they can't they can't do anything for a broken toe. You can't put mm-hmm. a cast on it. You just got to kind of live with it. And yeah. so he's going to pitch. Oh, he's going to throw through it. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, I mean, gonna, he's um, been throwing through a partially tor- torn UCL. I think. He's yeah, what's the fuck's a toe, right? 
With a stubbed toe, yeah. Yeah. No, well, hey, they said it was a fracture, and I guess originally Rojas said it was going to be a three-day waiting period, but, uh, yeah, he clarified to reporters on Wednesday. He's like, yeah, I'm doing a long toss today and hopefully just kind of groove through this. But, I mean, top to bottom, this bullpen is just, you know, jaw-droppingly, the potential is just jaw-droppingly high. Diaz, Betances, Lugo, Familia, just Mm -hmm. those four right there. That's that's a monster. That's a monster. For sure, yeah. That's a nice top four, and, and look, I, we don't have to talk about this too much, but I think I think every Mets fan agrees that Edwin Diaz will not be 2019 Edwin Diaz. He he might not be 2018 Edwin Diaz, and I think that's fair to assert. But uh, somewhere in between, I think is a fair prediction for him in 2020. Oh, he's a young guy. Yeah. Uh, he's still finding his stuff. He's still learning how to pitch. He can throw. Mm-hmm. We all know he can throw. He's still learning how yeah. to pitch. I think the help from Pedro Martinez is really going to uh, make a difference. I think mm-hmm. the confidence that comes along from working with a guy like Pedro, who had that, you know, Hall of Fame confidence uh, when he went out there, he literally said he would wake up the babe because he'll drill him in the ass. Like, you know, <laughs> who says that? And, and if that's and if that's going to rub off on Diaz, uh, you know, watch out. He could be just yeah. His, I mean, streak, yeah. we, we, we've seen his peripherals. He's just yeah. a monster. His metrics yeah. are, are off the charts. But do you, you think he's going to go ahead and, 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 I guess, resurge? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I Again, I'm, I'm very hesitant to say that he's going to be the, I mean, the, the Cy Young candidate that he was saving <laughs> 50 games for, for the Mariners, uh, the, you know, the, the, the player that we traded, he who shall not be named for. Um, but I do think that that he's going to be a lot better. I mean, what, what was his ERA last year? Five and a half or something like that. I mean, oh, it was up. Was there. it worse than that? I mean, it, it was it was a horrific season by anyone's standard. Any reliever would have been like, I don't belong here. If if that's if, if some scrub had put up that season, they would have been like, oh, yeah, I was striking guys guys out, but this I got I just got hammered. Uh, so yeah, he's not going to be that bad. I, I do not buy that. Um, I do wonder if he was pitching through a bit of an injury or something last year, just because whenever you see such a drastic change in performance, you wonder if there's something going on, especially with a young arm like his. Hopefully, if that was the case, he he spent some time and rested it. But yeah, no, I think he's gonna be good. Question for you though: Is he the closer out of camp if he shows that he's he's quote unquote back, or do you trust Seth Lugo with it and and put the faith in him considering his performance last year and considering? You're not going to put him in the rotation, and that's really where he wants to be. Do you think as, as sort of a sign of good faith, we say, hey, we need you in the bullpen as a, a reward for your hard work last year. You've got the nine. What, what, what do you do if you're Rojas? I, I, I mean, you have so many weapons out there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't be against um, going by committee and really okay. letting the matchups kind of kind of work themselves out because you can go to – you can go to Familia in situations. If he's right. got good numbers against the guy or his splitter mm-hmm. has been effective against the so-and-so, um, that can work. And I think with Hefner and Accardo, um leading up that, that group and with their, I guess, anal- analytically driven eyes on that information, I think we're going to see kind of um, – and I, it's it's tough because stability is such an important part of a bullpen – yeah. But if that's kind of the plan going into things, like, hey, guys, we're going to use you when we need you, and everyone's got to pull their own weight, and yada, yada, right. yada, you know, let Rojas be that major motivator, I really think that could work. Mm-hmm. But odds on favorite, just based on talent alone, you have to really kind of go with Diaz. It's Diaz, okay. He's and then so you use, But then the problem is, you know, 
So Seth Lugo now is he in the eighth, and that pushes pushes Betances to the seventh. And you know, like I know you're saying committee here, but like you're right, we've got to almost again not jinxing anything, just just forever not jinxing anything. I'm talking as an analyst here, <laughs> not as a fan. That you have so many weapons out there that at some point you just wonder, you just wonder where 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 you're going to put guys and how you're going to throw them. Because uh, you know Seth Lugo, he came up as a starter, and then he became known as hey this this reliever who could go get you six, seven, eight outs if you needed to. And then uh, last year became a closer, and even as a closer was used sometimes for six outs. It's just kind of weird now to maybe bumping him into quote-unquote middle relief after the season that he had and considering that he wants to be a starter. Just something doesn't seem all that fair about that to me. Well, I think it's if they if the group goes into the season with a kind of us-not-me mentality, sure. um, I think the guys will buy into that. I think, you know, yeah. with the talent that's here and the goal that's certainly achievable for this for mm-hmm. this group, um, and it's not just the bullpen, it's the whole team. There's so much talent just about, like, strewn about it. it. It's really, it's impressive that the Mets did next to nothing this offseason. They spent less money mm-hmm. than the Marlins in free agency. <laughs> did we really? <laughs> yes. Funny. Spent less money than my, only in free agency. I believe when arbitration is added in, the Mets oh, jump no, ahead of them. No, but I, in, I don't count that. No, free agency is free agency. In free agency alone, the Mets spent less money than the Marlins. And the Marlins, well, they brought in some really nice names um, they did. for minor league, for major yeah. league invites. Um, yeah. Jesus Aguilar, I think, is going to be a really nice addition to that roster. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so running the Mets, this bullpen, we've got Oh, the, please, yes. We've got the top. This is actually the easiest bullpen I've ever had to predict. You know, when you're looking at the, the 20, I'm sorry, the 26-man roster now. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to get used to saying that. Now this like is about the easy. IL. We'll get used to it. I know the IL. Um, how many times did uh, did Gary have to remember to say City Field, not Shea? Uh, that's, <laughs> I still make that mistake sometimes. But Same yes, he, so Justin Wilson has a spot for sure. Uh, I think yeah. Robert Gazelman also has a spot for sure. Ooh, uh, I don't know. Actually, he has options left, man. He has options. So left. Maybe, maybe. maybe. So granted, this is not opening day because opening day sometimes you can put somebody down in the minors for because the schedule is not every day at the beginning of the year. So you might see some weirdness. But I'm talking about like a, a normal 26 man couple weeks into the season. I do think Gazelman's in there. Um, oh, I think he I, should be. I think you're right. I think Brad but, Brock is in there, uh, especially getting a, a million plus dollar contract. And then and then for Longman, uh, you have six starters. One of them is going to the bullpen right now. For me, that is that is Waka. Of course, injuries can change that, but that's that's my bullpen. I do think the Mets use the 26th man to consistently have eight in the the bullpen. Um, that's that's my bullpen. There's some interesting names behind them, but I, I think that's pretty clear. It's it's those eight. Do you have anybody else in there that I that I didn't have? Um, you know, I know that they had. Um, ah, there was one name they brought in. I'm going through my little list now. David Peterson, who's coming into camp. Um, he's a highly tattered prospect. I, I you remember me with, with the draft with Peterson. He was my guy oh, yeah. in that draft. You, yes, and, I, you and I've been a little disappointed with him as a minor leaguer. I'm not going to lie. His fastball weapons, though. He's got the weapons, but you know he came in as a as a pretty uh, polished college prospect, a guy who was already filled out six six, probably two sixty when he was in college. Not sure if his weight has moved around since then, but we're talking about not a projectable arm here, and he was thrown. 89, 93 around there as a college starter, which is more than fine from the left side. And when I've seen him in the minors or, or tuned into games, he's been in the high 80s. He didn't. I thought that he was maybe going to get that last velocity bump and be sitting 93 instead of touching. 
And being into that 93-95 range where we see Steven Mass, we actually thought was a pretty favorable comparison for him. David Peterson was never going to be, you know, like vintage John Lester. That wasn't his his game. But for a kind of mid-end first-round draft pick to be a, a mid-rotation starter, I thought it was a very nice pick. And he just, the fastball hasn't been what I thought it was going to be. The guy is definitely a, a worm killer, like I like to call him. He's, he's probably going to be 60% ground ball sort of sort of pitcher. Uh, I think he's got a shot at being pretty good. I just, he also just didn't break out into the prospect that I thought it was going to be. Well, I like that, the whole ground ball aspect, especially out of the bullpen. Um, Oh, so you have him as a bullpen arm, not not filling in as a starter at some point. No, I think there's too much starting starting depth there. And I think just getting his feet wet in the majors, I'd like to see him kind of mixed in through the bullpen. Yeah. And I think that maybe. In those short spans, you might see his velocity uptick right. a bit. Yeah, um, and uh, for sure. I, I don't, I, what do you know about Stephen Gonzalez? Yeah, uh, this is actually funny enough. A, a guy that I liked uh, his draft year. I think he was. Oh, it's been a minute. Maybe the 2014 draft, 2015 draft, somewhere around there. And he was one of those guys who who slipped a while and, and fell. I don't know, third, fourth round or something like that. And and the Twins Ooh, 20, went 2013. over. Sorry, 2013. 2013. Wow, we're going back here. So, yeah, it was the Twins, right? He got drafted by the Twins and he's been a farmhand up until the Mets signed him, correct? Correct, yes. All right, so, yeah, so it was the Twins who went over slot and got him, got him out of his commitment to whatever school he was he was going to go to. Um, he, he touched a couple of top 100 prospect lists, if I recall correctly, but he was a nice prospect. The problem yeah, I, think heading is, into, I think heading into yeah. 2018, he was in that top 100. Yeah, I, I don't think he was ever like high on the list, but like he was in there. You know, he was in the conversation, which is uh, that that's pretty cool. And recently, he was considered at least a rotation kind of guy, uh, may, maybe a pretty solid uh, relief option if you move into the bullpen. The, the problem is just his, just like David Peterson, the fastball didn't develop. Then I believe he had some shoulder problems and he lost a couple of ticks off of his fastball. So from the left side, it's it's not bad. He's in the high nineties. Uh, four pitch pitcher, and you know, again, this, my my scouting report might be dated at this point, but he used to have four pitches at least. And I, he's just a good depth piece to have. When the Mets signed him, I was just like, this is a good move. This is a, a, a zero risk, potentially a high reward guy who used to have a decent pedigree and and, and momentum around him. Uh, I think if he if he gets starts for the team, then things have gone very wrong. I think if you see him out of the bullpen, that would be. Uh, very fair. Here's my problem, though. So Gonzalez, uh, he's not a loogie at all. I, I did go back and look at his splits from the minor leagues, and he's actually a touch better against righties than lefties. So if you're looking at him as maybe like a, a Feliciano type out of the bullpen, he's, he's not your guy. And that leads me to a question for you, Tim, is that if you if you look at our our, our lefties out of the bullpen, uh, Justin Wilson is tougher on righties and lefties. Uh, Brad Brock is much tougher on righties and lefties, he has he has pretty extreme reverse platoon splits. Uh, Gonsalves is is pretty even. Um, Chase and Shreve is pretty even. I, I don't see any true Lugie in the entire depth chart until you get to Daniel Zamora, who I just don't see. I, I just don't see any path for him making the team. You know, I, I think he does get first shake if they are going to go for that that Lugie spot. I think with the three batter minimum rule that we mm-hmm. might see kind of the demise of the Moogie. Yeah. Um, you know, you have yeah. a guy like Brock who, between his cutter and his changeup, um, they were mm-hmm. both very effective against left-handers. And uh, 
His cutter was effective against everybody, but the changeup mm-hmm. really works against left-handers, and I think he could be a weapon. And uh, yeah, I think we might start to see that Lugie role kind of kind of dissipate. I would like to see someone get a uh, get a fair shake in there, because um, Wilson can't be your only left-handed weapon out of the bullpen. Right. I mean, well, I if you go, so the term Lugie, we have to officially retire that, don't we? Because yeah. there's no one out guy. <laughs> unless you, unless you got three lefties, unless you got three lefties coming up in one inning. Well, three well, lefties in a I, row. That's what I wonder about. And now, and, and, and I might answer my own question here that, that, you know, we might have a manager who just trusts the arms regardless of handedness, which I mean, the handedness for, is, is also overrated. And it used to, and Mickey and, and Terry even worse was just bad with this, but also they didn't have very good bullpens. This is a, a should be again, very solid unit here, but. Uh, I, I guess maybe the concern is uh, you, you get into the middle innings, you're not uh, bringing Diaz in yet, you're not bringing Familia in yet, and you've got Bryce Harper coming up, um, uh, Reese Hoskins behind him. I don't know who else behind him. Like, you know, who are you bringing in at this point? And just getting the big out uh, with the bases loaded, maybe two down with Harper up, uh, not having to worry about the, the bases intoxicated, as, as Keith would say, and, so, you know, with the next inning, I, I just wonder who you bring in for that. For that out, for that batter, because there's just no one here in the middle innings, even the left-handers, that are death against lefties. And there are some tough lefties in the end, at least. Oh, for sure. Oh, and they're going to face all of them between, you know, Freeman. Uh, Markakis is a switch hitter? Yes, I think so. I yeah. think so. But, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm still so impressed with Markakis. But, yeah. no, yeah, uh, yeah. What, a, what a great who... second-half career he's had. He's had a very consistent career, man. Yeah. Like, I, oh. I don't think he'll get Hall of Fame consideration. Oh, I, think, no. I really don't he's think like he Bobby should. He's like Bobby Abreu. Bobby Abreu, oh, wonderful career. The, the counting st- stats are there, but we just won't sniff any, any Hall of Fame consideration. Well, boy, you have, to, you have to wonder if analytics had more of a, um, I guess, uh, held more weight through most of his career mm-hmm. if his – uh, if people would have viewed him in different in a different light, if he would have gotten Maybe. more personal accolades, Maybe. which because yeah. you know, eh, but I think he finished uh, with like twenty seven hundred hits and a bunch of homers, a bunch of steals. I mean, I like Bobby Bray. Do you remember the last game of the twenty fourteen season? It, yeah. it was Bobby Bobby Bray's last. It was his his going out party, and uh, Lucas I, Lucas Duda hit a moonshot. That's all I remember about that game was, was Bobby Bray's last game, and, and Duda just crushing a three run homer. Uh, I, was, yeah. I was on the West Coast at the time. I think the game was at like noon or one, so I was up at like nine or ten to watch the game. It was fantastic. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. Yeah. There's no late games on the West Coast. Nope. So, um, Rob Whalen is one guy who's. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm looking on their additions here for the minor league mm-hmm. invites. Mm-hmm. Um, Erasmo Ramirez. I'd like to see. Oh yeah, players. I forgot about him. Um, Jeffrey Ramirez, who I, I really don't know much about. I don't know either. What but, about um, um, Seawald? Is, is Seawald going to get a shot? Uh, Seawald was – was he DFA'd? Was, he's not with us anymore? I don't know. I know Flexen is, is gone. Flexen is gone. He was – yeah, he's definitely gone. And I he, thought Seawald you know was still around. And I kinda, I'm, I was, I've always been interested with this fastball. I thought he's kind he of all right. He is still around, and I think he does have the tools. And I think that um, I think at times maybe his fastball got a little flat, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's still in the organization. And it's cool. funny, me and Jacob were talking about um, 
uh, Flexion on the show last, just our last episode. Mm-hmm. And both of us completely went over our radar that he's not with us anymore. And he he yeah. mentioned it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Flexion, yeah. And both Oops. of us were like, we were texting after. We're like, oh, shit, we were talking about Flexion. He's yeah. out of the organization now. Yeah. So shout out to Jacob. We get lost in conversation and forget simple <laughs> facts. But hey, these things that, that happens with you, Tim. You just uh, you get sucked into the conversation with you. Oh, but hey, Stephen, <laughs> you've done a very good job of reeling me back in. Uh, I appreciate I, that. I, I tend to go off the rails at times, but um, Andrew well, was I, really good at that too. Can I switch topics then? Because um, of course, we're we're both part of a of a group, an online community, a religion you could call it, called the Dom Smith Stan Squad. Oh. And I just want to talk about our Lord and Savior before we end the. Uh, uh, the, the 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 show today. So uh, can we talk some Dom Smith? Because hallelujah, he's still a Met. We he made is. it through the off season. He's at spring training, still in orange and blue. I'm very excited about this. Uh, how could you not be excited? The energy that Dom brings to this roster, he he lights up the clubhouse. He he brings he the fans to life. He brings his yeah. teammates to life. He lights up my heart, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn right. Yeah. Yeah, Dom is um he, he's a you know he's a he's a treat as a fan yeah, to see is. him develop. Um, he had tough times. He didn't quite find his his game, and he really came into his own last season. I had some fun stats. I, I know we couldn't get out of this without talking about Dom, so I put a couple of little fun stats together. Do you want to hear them? I, I would love to hear them. <laughs> okay, so I'm only going to talk about first base. That's where he's training this year uh, in spring yeah. training. Um. They they said they have plans to kind of maybe move him around, but they're kind of letting him focus at first right now, fighting for Pete's backup spot. So, at he has plus one outs above average last last year per mm-hmm. StatCats, which yeah. is very it's respectable. Yeah. It doesn't really tell the whole story. Among first basemen with a minimum of a th- of a hundred innings last season, I think um, Dom had one hundred nineteen in the field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his his. Plus 6.7 UZR per 150, nice. ranked 15th out of 84 first basemen in Major League Baseball. Wow. On the offensive side, you know, a nice slash. Actually, very impressive slash line. 282, 355, 525, uh, solid power, 11 home runs, which you never really would have expected out of less than 200 yeah. plate appearances. Right. It's a 30-homer season there if you get full-time. It is, and that's that's exciting. He never really profiled as that power guy. No, never. We'll take it. In the year of the juice ball, we'll take it. Let's see what it translates to this year. 133 weighted runs created plus over hitters, among hitters, with uh, a minimum of 190 plate appearances last season. Dom Smith's weighted runs created plus ranked 19th in baseball. And that's not not among first basemen. That's among all major league hitters. Like, the promise is there. Uh, he's pretty much our only left-handed bat off the bench, unless Jed mm, Lowry true. appears. And, <laughs> Not counting I, on that one. No, I, I don't think we can. He was moving okay with that giant leg brace on, but yeah, um, yeah we, I don't think we can count on him. But Dom has a spot on this team, and it's on the bench, and whether he's serviceable yeah. and left or filling in for Pete at first, right. I, I think Dom brings value to this roster. I, I know I that you feel the same way, but yeah. are you concerned that he's not going to see enough playing time to keep, you know, keep himself sharp? Well, no, because we saw him in a in a limited role last year, absolutely crush it, and he's going to return to that role this year. Granted, it was it was one season, a season in which he was partially hurt, like you said, only two hundred at bats. So it's not the biggest sample size from which to draw a conclusion, but we did see him sit on the bench for days at a time, come off the bench, and hit it. 
hit hit a big hit. I mean, he he came off of the DL having missed what was it two months or something like that, and I've comes been off over the, two months. Two months in the last game of the season, the last at bat of the season, hit a walk off home run. No, nothing phases this guy. I don't worry about him coming off the bench cold in a big spot at all. And I like that you you recognize that that he has a spot on this team, even if it's not as a starter, pinch hitting, uh, filling in for Pete, filling, filling in in a corner outfield uh, every so often. He has that ability uh, for DH games. I think he, you're going to see probably Pete be the DH. Dom will get the, the starts at first for our interleague uh, games. And also with the 26th man, you can kind of have a de facto professional pinch hitter if you want. And you can get 100 bats in a season doing that. And I think Dom... He might not see a hundred, but it's going to be a lot. I think Ichiro Suzuki just a couple of years ago with the Marlins had a, had a hundred pinch hit plate appearances. You can do that with Dom Smith and and add a lot of value to the team in a in a part time role. And last point on this, and I know this is not what Mets fans ever want to think about, but injuries do happen. Mm-hmm. And 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 if Pete Alonso gets hurt, having Dominic Smith there is a huge huge backup. Oh, and for just, sure. I, I, and, and granted, I, I know that um, uh, Mark Ren- Mark Reynolds we picked up, right? Not Matt Adams. I always get these two confused. <laughs> no, it's Matt Adams. We got Matt, Matt Adams. Adams. We got Matt Adams. Okay, so Matt yeah. Adams. I thought that was a nice depth move as well. Um, but but there is a big fall off from Dom Smith to to Matt Adams. So I just I like him there. He's a security blanket for our stud first baseman. He's a joy to have in the clubhouse, and he just makes it more fun to be a fan of the team. And I know that that doesn't translate to wins. But it increases my enjoyment of watching the team, and we do this to have fun, and we do this to to bring enjoyment into our life and happiness into our life. And Dom Smith is the is the player who does that for me uh, right now. I mean, many of them do: J.D. Davis, Jacob Degrom, Michael Conforto. But like Dom Smith is the guy for me that is just the heart and soul of this team, and I just love watching him play and interact with fans, interact with his teammates, roll around on a scooter after games. After he <laughs> he's just fun, and I like having fun watching this team. Yeah. Oh, it makes it makes the experience so much better because even when they were shitty, like, hey, Dom Smith's doing great. That's our guy. And just to just to um, echo your point that you were making about him in the pinch hitting role, two eighty six, four fifty nine, five seventy one. In you say four fifty nine was his on base percentage. Four fifty nine with a five seventy one slugging percentage in thirty (laughs) seven plate appearances as a pinch hitter last season. That will do. Definitely do. Yeah, we'll take that. I know you're. You know, after Dom, we're, we both share a, a distinct affinity for another guy on this roster because, again, mm. we've watched him develop, and it's Ahmed Rosario. And I think that's oh, who yeah. we're going to close up with tonight. And, Stephen, if it's okay, I got some more stats. Uh, I, would, I would love to get more stats. <laughs> All right. So Rosario had a very solid season last year. He finally got his weighted runs created plus to 100 on the nose, yeah. so making him technically an average major league hitter. Um his 2.7 F war was 15th among major league shortstops. Um, you know, he got his on base percentage up above 300, which is again, a, a huge plus. He was pegged as a, uh, a top of the lineup guy. Maybe that really hasn't panned out, but he, he, he's inching towards there. It, he made tangible progress. That, that's, that's my point on that end. Now from June 1st through the end of the season, all right. Rosario hit 307, 337, 441. Something clicked that's for him. Beautiful. Clearly. That is beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, mm-hmm. are we expecting him to continue on this trajectory uh, on the offensive side? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, like, so we don't know what Ahmed Rosario's ceiling is. Nobody does. 
Uh, one thing I can tell you is that we are on an upward trajectory right now that we don't, we don't know what the upper limit of that is uh, until we see it. Until we see it hit and we see him start to plateau or, or, or tail off, we don't know what that upper um, parameter is. Um, so it's very, very easy to assume that we haven't found it yet than, than we have because we're talking about a 24-year-old player here who was at one point a, a top prospect I and mean, a top five prospect in baseball, has all the tools in the world. So I, I think it's very, very unlikely that we have seen this ceiling for Ahmed Rosario. Now, on the defensive side, he's strong. Mm. And, and he on, has, a whole, yeah. on a whole, he had a very tough season last year. Negative mm-hmm. uh, 16 defensive run saved was the second yeah. worst in baseball among shortstops. Yeah. You, know, you know who was the worst? I, I don't. I was just going to ask you who the worst Zan- is. Xander Bogarts. Really? Yeah. Who, who, he's who's, a bigger who's, guy. I mean, that's. He's developed I, such a nice player. It's just it kind of oh, surprised yeah. me yeah. at the end of the list. Yeah. But. There are bright spots to Rosie's mm-hmm. defense, and we all saw him like with our with our eyes just passing the eye test over the sure. second half of the season. From August through September, uh, three outs above average at shortstop puts him uh, above average in, yeah. in, in among uh, among shortstops for sure. Now going to his left, he's really blossoming. Um, going to his left towards the bag, he's point uh, three point one. Excuse me, plus three point one wow. out above average. Going behind the bag, he's still above average, uh, a one out above. So I mean, he's going made, to his right that's giving him a hard time, and also errors, of course. But but going to his right is that is that still a struggle for him? It's not as yeah, it's not as bad as actually when he's when he stays in position or, or in that mm-hmm. general position. But yeah, he's uh, he's certainly more adept to the left, and I hope his work with um oh the name just escaped me. Uh, infield, Di Sarsina, Gary Di Sarsina, mm-hmm. um, who really worked with um, Rosario's footwork last season, and you saw it kind of take hold. And I really, I, I think that he can develop into a, a well-rounded player. And yeah. whether you stick him, you know, I kind of like him towards the bottom of the lineup to kind of keep things moving, especially yeah. if he's going to keep on getting at base, uh, getting on base at this clip. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get my hopes too far up, but boy, I really see a, a ceiling that's you know, all-star level, and he's oh, not yeah. Francisco Lindor. He's not going to hit 30 home runs a season. Though, you know, with the swing like he does and with the exit velocity that he puts off, oh, yeah. a couple of tinkers, he, he could probably get to at least a 20 home run season. But, right, juice bomb um, again here, uh, uh, asterisk, or, 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 you know, disclaimer. Um, but, yeah, well, I agree with that. I mean, right. he sends he's th- those doubles he hits into the gaps and off the walls. Boy, you know, he makes a couple of adjustments, and he, you know, little weight transfer differences and he he could, right. he could really turn into a pro whether you want to change the hitter he is that's the question but um, right. he's, really, uh, he's, no, he's skinny strong like he's he's deceptively strong uh wiry guy he's a big dude bro 62 or something 61 or 62 so he's taller than people think and he he's yeah his bat speed is very very good yeah and, and that, you I wanna, think that was his bowling card right yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's had quick. I mean, I don't know if you remember like the the scouting video when he was 16 when the Mets signed him because it was the biggest bonus we'd ever given to an international player at that point. And I I, I remember thinking that when I saw him, it was just like for a 16 year old, that is a quick, quick bat, and it's and it's still lightning fast. I mean, or even faster than it was then. Uh, and and something that gives me a lot of hope about him as a hitter. And and actually, I agree with your assessment that his ceiling is all star because if if you were to duplicate his his second half of last year over a full season, I think he is an all-star. 
I mean, talking about a, a player who hit, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I believe he was well over 300, right, as a, a batting average. Uh, he was just hitting very, very well out of a shortstop position. I think that would be an all-star player. Uh, something I did look at, though, because I knew we were going to talk about him at Rosario today, uh, <laughs> he's gotten a lot, a lot better at hitting the fastball. That's something that's, that has improved. Now, granted, 2017 wasn't a lot of the bats, but if we look at 2017 to 18 to 19, I found some themes that, that give some indication on how he's been able to be better at the plate. One of them is he's just simply gotten better at, at hitting fastballs. In fact, if you, if you plot the fastball percentage he sees versus his rolling 15 day Woba average, it's, it's, it's almost the same line. When he sees fastballs and he attacks them, he, he gets hits. Uh, now this is an adjustment because I'm, I'm sure the league and, and towards the last, the end of last year, it seemed like maybe they're starting to do this a bit more. Is going to figure that out, so that's going to be adjustment he's going to have to make. But the other thing that I've noticed um, from the numbers that he's done, he's done a, a lot, lot better job at chasing. So his his O swing percentage, or the percentage of the, the times where he swings at a pitch outside of the zone, uh, has gone down every year since he's been in the league. And the percentage of uh, Z swing, or, or the swings on balls in the zone, has gone up every year. And not just that, but the um, the contact on those balls that are thrown in the zone has gone up, which I know sounds like an obvious thing to do, but you remember Ahmed when he uh, was a rookie with that cup of coffee just swinging straight through fastballs middle-middle, and he's not doing that nearly as much anymore. And, and you're seeing, you're just it's amazing to see growth with your own two eyes, with the eye test, the numbers are backing it up. I mean, you are seeing player development and the maturation of a, of a young player in real time, and it's, it's very, very cool for me. I'm sure it's cool for you because we've both been fans of this for a long time. Um, I, I do see a, a huge ceiling for him, um, and I really hope he gets it this year because that would, <laughs> the stars could align this season. And I'll tell you, if, if Conforto hits that next level, if Thor hits that next level, if Ahmed hits that next level, it'll it'll go a long way to a number of wins for the team this season. Oh, definitely. And I think a lot of people forget that Rosie came up at 21 years old with uh, right. And he, 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 he was kind of pushed through the minor league system, but mm-hmm. real quick. And I think this kind of speaks to where Rosie's at. And it wasn't just the second half last season. Since June 15th of 2018, mm-hmm. Rosario's slash line is 280, 319, 419. So again, that'll, yeah, first shortstop, that'll do. Uh, well, that'll, it'll do it. I'd like to see the on base and slugging a little bit higher. Sure, and yeah. even now, I'd like to see that. But yeah. if you look at that, that whole, I guess, span, and then look at his second half last year, that's right. where you can really see right. the progress that was made, the strides that were taken. And I'm, I'm, I'm freaking pumped, yeah. man. I can't wait. I, I can't I'm pumped wait. Too. Hey, yeah. I got one question for you about Rosario, and it's something that, I mean, from just looking through the, the data, I haven't been able to figure out anything, any patterns to, to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apart from assuming that this is, this is something uh, within his head, I, I don't have any other explanation, but he is a drastically better player on the road than he is at home. I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen these splits. I mean, he is all-star caliber, like like definitive all-star level player away from City. And at City Field, he's he's borderline replacement, um, if not a little bit worse over the course of his career. What, what's going on there? Oh, it's tough to speculate as far as um, what might be going on there. It's, you know, and this is over his career. It's a yeah. 792 OPS at, uh, on the road and a 621 yeah. OPS at home. Right. So it's not right. like it's a small sample size. It's not. Um, it, it yeah, you have difference. to wonder. And, and this is the opposite of what it is for most players. I, I use this example a lot for, you know, players 
I'm sorry, fans talking about, you know, the, the home park effect with something like Coors or Minute Maid or, or Fenway or Yankee Stadium. Uh, that Giancarlo Stan, go look at his home road splits when he was playing at Marlins Park. He was a better hitter at home in the biggest pitcher's park in baseball because there's some thought that there's a comfort about playing at home in front of your fans, having gotten a good night's sleep in, in your bed, not being on the road in a hotel, all that sort of stuff lends itself to, you know, home field advantage players playing better at home. But Rosario has the opposite of that. And I just, I, I've never really been able to figure out why. Well, I think that coming up as such a young player and mm-hmm. just coming up into such a big city with such high expectations, um, yeah. maybe that pressure got to him. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, it, it would he, suck if that's the reason. Um, no, but, but, but it's, we the know only, it's the only thing that like that, that makes any sense to me. But is, we've is seen that, is exactly that. We've seen the confidence come along, and we've seen yeah. the production kind of follow. Yeah. I'm very curious to see as to whether he he really turns those uh, turns the home woes around right. in 2020. Because imagine if he could be. What did you say his split was on the road for his career? Eight something for his career. Uh, OPS is high seven seven ninety two. So yeah, just under eight hundred. I mean, yeah, seven ninety two from a shortstop. That's near all star level. I mean, that that's top handful of shortstops in baseball there, and that's including his, you know, his pretty horrendous rookie season and and very poor first half to his second season. Uh, I I think those numbers are even even higher from the last year year and a half. So yeah, I mean, if he if he can pull that up at home to what he does on the road, uh, that's that's a good player. This is a four or five war player. Oh, for sure. Watch out, and you know, it just kind of adds to the whole, you know, general theme of depth here. You have Davis, you have mm-hmm. Nimmo, and Confor- I mean, there's just so much talent here. Right. We could go on for another hour, but I know. <laughs> at the shortstop position, Andres Jimenez too behind him. So like, there's and you know, Dom Smith can fill in for Pete in a pinch. Uh, Jimenez can fill in for Rosario in a pinch, or Guillaume can fill in Rosario. I love the depth on this team. It, somebody could get hurt, which you don't want. You don't want anybody to get hurt, but the injuries are part of the game. Uh, there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot of redundancies that um, that, that help teams win championships, and I, I hope that's where we're headed this year. Oh, I think, you know, I, I, it's it, they'd be hard-pressed not to find themselves in the hunt. Things would have to go very, yeah. very wrong for them not oh, to be in the thing. They're just too knock good. No, nah, this team is, you know my optimism, bro. I'm through the fucking roof. Well, I, so oh, I, I mean, cursed I, again. <laughs> yeah, we, well, yeah, cursing is is we established. We already put put our verbal disclaimer in there. We did. Uh, I try not to. <laughs> even in life, I try not to unnecessarily curse. But boy, I'm just I'm so passionate about my message. I'm pumped too, and I know you're an optimistic fan. I think I I, I <laughs> lean towards the optimism side of you things do. as well. However, I'm pretty analytical as well, and and I I like looking at numbers. I look at numbers a lot um, for fun, and and looking on paper again. This team looks pretty good. Last year it looked pretty good. And guess what? The Mets were good last year. It, they weren't quite good enough, but they were good. And I think they're going to be good again this year. I think they're going to get there, man. I think everyone talents here. I, I would yeah. love to see them go ahead and make another addition before camp breaks. Um, I wouldn't put it past them, but, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's see. Bro, like Brody said, man, he, you know, they're always looking to make this roster better and no yeah. more ifs. So we have a couple yeah. of ifs. Let's fucking get on yeah. that. Yep. All right. Steven, where can everybody find you on Twitter, buddy? So my handle, I believe, is at Steven Josiah 13. All right. That, yeah. We know that. Now, Which, uh, um, by the way, 13 is because that is my favorite number. The reason why, if you know when I became a fan, who was number 13 uh, back about 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago? It's the man they call Fonzie, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, that was my that was my favorite player growing up. Love that number still, my favorite number because of Edgardo Alfonso, so that's why Stephen Josiah 13. Yep. Now, 
Stephen, you're of a certain age. You remember the Scott Casimir trade, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Did you? Do we now, have to this, talk about? <laughs> well, we do because he's pitching for major league teams this week, and I think he he might is be he that really? lefty. He is. He's he's yeah, all the way back. He's been working with. Uh, I don't know if he's on his own or what, but I've been seeing videos floating around. It looks like he has a little life on his fastball. I'd oh, love I'm, I'm to in. see him. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Right. Yeah. That was yeah. That's what that's the question I was getting so, to. But. So get Scott Casmer, get Yoelkis Cespedes. Yoelkis is Cespedes' uh, half-brother, 21 years old, I believe. Uh, Five-tool five stud. Uh, he looks like he looks just like him. Uh, yeah. Dude, just big, like it. Big arms, stocky, strong player. I, I I don't know much about him as a as, I don't as care. I don't even want to know. But yeah, I don't want to know. Just like seeing the picture of him, I'm like, I want him. He has to Dude, be a Ces- <laughs> Cespedes' contract is going to run out, bro. Put this kid in number 52. We won't even oh, know the yes. difference. Yes. We won't even know the difference. This has to happen, Tim. Like, <laughs> just what do we have to do? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> There's somewhere man. I can sign. Um, Steven, I, I, yeah. just because I've become so such a fan of it, it kind of chills me out when I need it. Um your YouTube page, because you, you're yeah. a, a, an accomplished piano player, oh. just fantastic. Thank you. Would you mind sharing the, I guess, where we could find you there? Because, folks, it's oh, terrific. Oh, that's so nice of um, Yeah, it's, I think my YouTube is just on uh, under my name. So my last name is Gilbert. Um, so Stephen Gilbert on YouTube. The last name is kind of weird spelling. It's G-U-I-L-B-E-R-T. But, yeah, just Stephen Gilbert on YouTube. Got uh, 70 videos on there, something like that. So thank you for saying that. I didn't realize you uh, you listened to it to, to, to chill out. That makes, <laughs> it makes me happy. Thank you. Just some gorgeous music. Yeah, no, I, you know, I can't listen to Fish and chill out all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> wouldn't that but, be nice, though? Because who wouldn't want to listen to Fish all the time? Yes. Oh, well, you know, it's kind of what I do. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Good you man. know how it is. Oh, hey, babe, the boys are in Mexico this weekend. I'll be streaming that. So if you don't see me on Twitter, it's because. Oh, fair enough. That, that's where you've gone. Oh no! Well, I'm not. I won't be in Mexico. But Fish is taking <laughs> the. They, they take the, the. They have the wherewithal to stream all of their shows online. Oh, nice. Nice. So That's I don't cool. got. I don't have to go to Mexico or yeah. or the West Coast. I could watch a show for twenty bucks and have you know almost. The there same. you go. That's cool. I didn't realize they were doing that. That's oh yeah. Tune into one of those. Oh maybe man. Hey, next time you're on the next time you're out here, you know we're gonna have to get you. Yeah, I know you're down oh, there yeah. keeping Austin. You're keeping Austin weird all I'm by yourself. I'm keeping Austin weird. Yep. Yeah, yeah, about in half yeah. marathons and shit. If if anybody <laughs> uh, if anybody makes their way down to Texas, let me know. I've got a projector set up where we where I, I I stream the Mets on MLB TV over the summer. Just let me know. Come chill and watch a game. I would love that. Hell yeah! All right, well, Stephen, thank you so much again for coming on, man. This was hey, a brother. Blast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this was fun. Let's do it again. Awesome, definitely. We'll do it soon. Everybody, you know where to find us. Um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, just look for Simply Amazing. If you enjoy the show, please be so kind as to leave a five-star review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And we're going to be back, uh, I would say, early next week with a new episode, hopefully some new news to talk about, and uh, hopefully no more stubbing of toes in uh, in hotel rooms. No more stubbing toes. And somebody right. buy the Mets, please. If you're listening to this and looking for investment advice and you have Oh, between $5 billion and any amount of wealth uh, above that. Please buy the Mets. Um, Steven, I got like 48 bucks in my checking account. You want to split something with me? We'll, yeah, we'll let's, make go, a bid. let's go in and just, you know, um, I, I think we can get, get there. We might need a couple more people, but it's a start. Let's start Kickstarter. There. Let's yeah, go to crowd. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. It's All right, this. buddy. Hell All right, yeah. Man.
All right, let's go, Mets, everybody. Steven, it was a pleasure. We'll talk to you next time, buddy. Thanks, man.